Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, guys, as Jenna alluded to, we're starting a brand new series. And so guests, uh, you're hopping in just like everybody else. We just finished the entire book of Ephesians, spent several months there, and we're going to take four weeks to slow down a little bit and look at this message we're calling The Road to Redemption, or the series, The Road to Redemption. And so uh, every uh, year we want to slow down and we want to look at what's the purpose of Easter? What's the purpose of uh, the Good Friday? Why do we call it good? And so we're getting ready and orienting our hearts towards Easter. And so taking notes, uh, today's message is simply called this, The Invitation of Jesus. Uh, this morning, I was at uh, Coa Forest Hills to share this message, and I sent your greetings to them, and they sent their greetings back to you guys. So hello from our City on a Hill Forest Hills congregation. Uh, as we begin this message, I'm just curious, kind of a, a poll. Anybody like invitations when you get something in mail? It's a wedding invitation, a baby shower invitation, something like that. Um, our family really enjoys getting the wedding invitations, right? Our, if, especially if our little girls are invited because they want to dress up, they want to go get their dresses. So when we get it in the mail, we take it out, we look at who it's from and we're like, oh man, we love those people. It's endearing because we know them. Our little girls run upstairs and they pick out a dress and we're talking about the wedding. Uh, those invitations are so precious to us because we know the inviters. We know the people that are getting married and it's exciting because we're the invitees. And then there's a great benefit when we go to the event, right? There's a kind of a reward. You get free food and free drinks and you get free dancing and you get a lot of fun. You get a lot of fellowship together and it's wonderful. And this invitation that comes out excites our family. And Jesus gives us an invitation as well in this text. The text that Jenna just read is an invitation from Jesus. And what we're going to see today is three things. We're going to unpack three things together. Number one, it's the heart of the inviter, which is God. We're gonna see the heart of the invited, which is you and me. And then we're gonna see the great reward or the great benefit of when we come to him. So guys, let's dive in. Uh, and as we do, uh, this is one of my favorite uh, passages in scripture, by the way. It's really near and dear to my heart. It helps me understand who God is and what he's inviting me into. And so, by the way, if you've read the book Gentle and Lowly by uh, Dane Orland, I really, really recommend that book. Um, this is sort of adapted from some of his book and lots of commentaries. And I love this passage. And I hope that you find yourself loving this passage as well. So this is the invitation of Jesus. Um, guys, if you know uh, me often, I often refer to this guy named Charles Spurgeon. He was uh, uh, my role models in life for like pastors that are not alive anymore. Um, and I got to watch their, not watch their sermons, but I get to read their sermons, whatever. And he was a great British pastor in the, the 1800s. And he makes this really interesting point about this text. He says this, out of the 189 total chapters that make up the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he says, out of all this, there's only one place where Jesus really pulls back the veil and lets us see into the very heart of Jesus. He says, there's only one place where Jesus actually opens up to us and describes the posture of his heart towards you. And guys, we find that one place in this very passage. Now in the four gospels, of course, we do see, we see his heart on display, right? You see it in his ministry, his teaching, his miracles, the atoning sacrifice, the resurrection, you see his heart. But guys, it's only in the passage we just read that you actually hear Jesus describe his heart. 
And guys, it's really insightful. It's really comforting to us. And it's really different than how you may have grown up thinking about God. And so with that in mind, let me read these verses of Jesus again. We're really only gonna focus on verses 28 through 30 here. And I really wanna do this in this entire message. I wanna apply the heart of Jesus to your very hearts. I want you to see how he describes himself and why that matters to you. And when you can grasp what he says about himself, then you will come to his invitation when he says, come to me. So here's what he says. Jesus says this beautifully. Here's the invitation. He says, come to me. It's not anywhere else. It's not in anyone else. It's not in your job. It's not in your life. He's giving this invitation to himself. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And then he says this, I will, it's a promise, will, I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am two things. And he says, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And you will find, again, he promises you, you will find rest for your souls. He says it a second time. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's take a moment to apply this a bit and unpack it. Because once we understand what he just said, then this invitation changes everything for you if you come to him. Number one, what's the heart of the inviter here? What is, what is, we, we get the invitation is to come, but come to who? Who is this person? What is his heart like towards you? Guys, when the Bible uses that word heart anywhere, Old Testament, New Testament, it's not referring to that like beating physical muscle inside of your body. It's referring to the central animating center of who you are. The heart refers to like what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you daydream about. It's what you wish for. When the Bible used the word heart, it's the motivational headquarters for who you are. It's the seat of your thoughts. It's the core of your emotions. In biblical terms, the heart is not just a part of you, but it's the center of who you are. Our hearts are what birth desires and it pushes us and leads us in directions. That's why Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23, he says, we must keep the heart with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life. Guys, he's telling us that the heart drives all we do. He's telling us that the heart is the core of who we are. And guys, this, this is why this is so important. Because when Jesus uses two adjectives to describe his heart here, he's telling you what his heart is like towards you. So he's saying what animates him most deeply, what drives his desires and actions towards you, what describes the very innermost recesses of his entire being is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. That's what drives everything in his relationship with you. That's very different than how some of us may think about God. You think about God as that really maybe disappointed father or maybe the absent father. But God is gentle and lowly. Well, how do we understand that? What does it actually mean? Like, what is Jesus wanting you to grasp about how he sees you and acts towards you, right? What's it mean that he's gentle in heart and that he's lowly in heart? Guys, listen, we project our feelings and emotions uh, onto uh, God all the time. How we think the world should operate, we think that he operates. And human nature dictates that if you're a wealthier person, then often you feel like you look down on those who aren't. If you're a more beautiful or a successful person, you look down on others that aren't. 
And without realizing what we're doing, we quietly assume that those who are on top look down on those who are below. And therefore we think that God sees us that way. And so, yeah, we all agree if you're a Christian that God does draw close to us, but we think he does it grimacing, like holding his nose. You're always a disappointment. You keep sinning the same ways. You keep saying sorry every time you take communion, but then you sin again that way again the next week. And you feel like he's just kind of disappointed in you, just fed up and he's just kind of irritated with you. Maybe this is how you feel. And in some regard, it, it makes sense, this high, holy view of God, right? God's word does say that God is highly exalted, that one day every knee will bow before Jesus. In Revelation, it says that his eyes are like a flame of fire, that his voice is like the roar of many waters, that his tongue is like a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and his face really is like a shining bright sun with all of its strength. So yes, he's glorious. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. But this God in his wonder, in his holiness, his otherness, draws close. This is who he is in the deepest parts of his life. He doesn't just come close cringing at who you are and what you've done. No, your sin is actually an alarm to God for him to come to you and rescue you in that place. God's not just standing back angry at you if you're in Christ. He dealt with that anger on the cross. Jesus was, all of the wrath of God was poured out on him. And so all of the love of God can be poured out on you. So he doesn't stand back cringing at your sin. Your sin's like an aroma that lifts before him that sends off an alarm to send God to come rescue and bring you out of that sin. Jesus comes and he touches and ministers dirty, sinful people like me, like us. So we think sometimes he doesn't want to reach out and care for us. We think he has a severe and sour disposition, but this is not who he is. He uses two words to describe who he is. He says that he's gentle. And that word gentle is used only three other times in the New Testament here. We see the first time he uses it in the Beatitudes. We see Jesus saying that he's like, blessed are the meek, will inherit the earth. And meekness is not weakness. Jesus is not weak, but meekness means you use your strength not to harm, but to help. That's what meekness is. And that's the word gentle there that Jesus has an enormous amount of strength to annihilate our sin, but rather than destroying us, he serves us. He's gentle with that power, with that might. Also, we see this idea of of gentleness in the prophecy in Matthew chapter 21, where it talks about King Jesus coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey. And Peter's encouragement to wives in the New Testament, he talks about their heart and he says, the hidden person of the heart with its imperishable beauty, with a gentle and quiet spirit. We see that word gentle used those three times and it's telling us something about God, that he is meek, that he is humble, and that he's gentle. Guys, what's this revealed to us? Why is this important to you? It means that Jesus isn't trigger happy. He's not harsh towards you. He's not reactionary with what you do. He's not easily exasperated. He's not frustrated and angry at you because he poured all that out on the cross. Listen, Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. He lived out the fullness of the human experience 
and was tempted and tried to the uttermost without sin. He understands everything that you've gone through. And rather than condemning you for when you fall short, he comforts you and shows you a better way. The most natural posture that Jesus has is not a pointed finger, but it's open arms. That's his posture towards you. That's what gentleness means. What about lowly? That word lowly overlaps, sure, with that word gentle. Like there is similarities there, but lowly is sharing something different than gentle. And that's why Jesus used that term lowly. What's the point he's making here? The point Jesus is saying lowly is that he is accessible to us. For all of his amazing glory, his unmatched holiness, his supreme otherness, guys, no other human in history has been ever more approachable than Jesus. This humble carpenter man from Nazareth. There's no hoops to jump through to get to him. There's no long waiting lines. There's no prerequisites in order to approach him. Guys, you don't need to unburden yourself or collect yourself first, and then you come to him. In fact, your very burden, guys, your very brokenness, your very sin is what actually qualifies you to come to him. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give them rest. So friends and Koa guests online, are you feeling like broken and burdened by something? Do you feel like that continual sin pattern, that habit, those issues that you're dealing with in private that maybe your CG or your DNA group don't know about? Do you, do you feel like that is disqualifying you to come to God? If you are broken or burdened by life circumstances today, you are actually the one Jesus is inviting here. Like you're the type that he's seeking after. Not to equate Jesus to a dating app, but if you were to go on in a dating app, hypothetically, you go on a Facebook or a Twitter in the about me section with Jesus, it would say, I am gentle and lowly. That'd be a really weird thing for you to say. If you're on a dating app and you describe yourself as gentle and lowly, that's just weird, right? But what is Jesus really trying to get at? He's saying he is gentle with sinners. He hates sin, but he's accessible for you to help you deal with every issue in your life. And he was wanting you to see that he is gentle to help you deal with real things like sin and struggles and mental illness and everything. And he's fully accessible to everything you need. And that's what actually qualifies you to come to him. So who is the inviter? It's one who is gentle and lowly towards you. Number two, what's the heart of the invited? Who's the ones invited in this text? It does say all, but it tells us something about who specifically Jesus is seeking after. And he's telling us that he's seeking after those who are laboring and those who are heavy laden. Guys, in this room, there's sort of two sets of us are online. There's two sets of people that are hearing this text. One, you are laboring, meaning you are weary. Not that the, all of us are working in some capacity, but this term labor means you are weary. You're tired from working. And for some of you, you may be new moms and you are weary and tired of the late nights and the early mornings. Some of you run businesses. Some of you are starting businesses. Some of you are in school and you are weary and you're tired. You're qualified. You got the invitation. Jesus is giving the invitation out to everybody, but yours was like rushed prime shipping to you. You're invited. You are tired and you're weary. You're the one Jesus is coming after. 
And the other part of us in the room are heavy laden. Not just that work is hard, but life is hard. You were dealt a certain amount of cards that are challenging for you. You may be going through something personally in your own life or with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, with something in life has made things hard for you. And so you are heavy laden and Jesus desires for both sets of people to find rest. So he's saying it like this, regardless of whether you're weary from working or striving or whether you're tired from life circumstances, you know what Jesus says in this? He's basically saying, hey, come, come inside out of the storm. Come out of the rain. I want you to come home and I want you to find shelter, a warm meal. I want you to sit down and I want you to learn from me. I want you to spend time with me. I want to give you rest from what you've been searching after. You know what this means for us? You know what this means? He's speaking to the labored and the laden. You know what he's saying to us? He's basically saying, friend, you can stop laboring for your worth. That's why many of us are tired. You're laboring and you're climbing for success. You've got to get that next promotion. You've got to get more money. You've got to finish your degree and you're tired thinking that that's what makes you significant. And Jesus is saying, you can stop. That's not where your worth comes from. We don't climb for success. He's saying that we can stop striving for comfort and for happiness and for pleasure in this life. That guys, that's the stuff that's wearing us out. We're striving for those things. We're climbing for those things. That's the stuff that wears us out. And he tells us calmly and kindly in this text, no longer come to me, come to me. This is where you're gonna find your rest. In me, you find that you're valuable, that I have your future in mind, that I'm the one that secures your path. I'm the one that's making sure all things work out for your good and conforming you to Christ. So there's no striving or panic or worry some of us, we may deal with clinical anxiety, understand that. Other of us, of us deal with circumstantial anxiety. You're so panicked about what's going to happen to you or what you think could happen to you that you're always frazzled. And Jesus tells us that you don't have to worry about your future when he's already there and he's gonna work it out for your good. Does that make sense? So he tells you to come home and rest. Come home and rest. For when you come to him and rest, Here's what happens, and I want to make this really practical for you. Here's what you're resting from. When you come to Christ, not just for the first time to be saved, like to, to have a relationship with God, but daily as a Christian, you keep coming to him. Here's what happens. Here's the rest I want you to have. You rest from thinking that having something more makes you someone more. Every single person of us in this room, we deal with some capacity of that you think by having more love from a relationship makes you someone more worthy of love. Does that make sense? In some capacity, you think by having more money, that makes you more secure. By having more blank, it gives you more this. And, and God's telling you, you can rest from thinking that having something more will make you someone more. Because in the gospel on the cross, you see Jesus says what? It is finished. What you're striving for, what you're longing for is found in him. So he says, rest, find it there. It doesn't mean we don't work. doesn't mean we don't go to our jobs. doesn't mean we don't try hard at our jobs. doesn't mean any of that. But we don't use our job as a platform to give us something that Christ already gave us. Does that make sense? 
So some of you, you're so anxious about the future and you're worried about deadlines and you're worried about your boss approving of you or not uh, making yourself look stupid at work or whatever the case may be, and you're just anxious. It's because you're looking for something to validate or give you care or make you good or make you right and you don't want to look embarrassed or whatever it is. And God's telling you, you can rest from that. Guys, listen, the minimum bar to the embrace of Jesus is simply this. When his invitation comes, which he has given in this text, the minimum bar into his embrace is this, that you come to him with all of your burdens and all of your brokenness. And then you receive all of who he is and all of what he's done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. My friends, his, his rest and all of your panic and hurriedness and anxiety about where you're going to live and how much money you're going to make and who am I going to marry and what's going to happen down the road, all of that, his, his rest is a gift. It's not a transaction. It's not something that you earn. Guys, if we all had that moment where you're like, I just can't wait to be done with school, then I can rest. Man, it's just a season of my life. And for some regard, there is going to be kind of seasons up and down. But guys, there's always going to be another thing. I finished, when I thought, when, I, when I'm done with high school, whew, it's going to be a lot easier than I got to college. Like, I just got to get done with college. When I get done with college, it's going to be kind of smooth sailing. Got done with college in my master's program. Like, okay, when I get done with my master's, it's going to be cruise, smooth sailing. And then like, we moved to Boston and started a church. Once we, I don't know, at that point we gave up. We're like, none of this is going to be smooth sailing at this point pandemic happens and we have more kids. When is, what is the rest? Is it a physical rest? He says, you'll find rest for your what? Your souls. That's the true rest all of us want, right? We want a peace. We want a centeredness. We want a calmness. Where does that come from? It's not a physical thing. It's not when you're done with school, when you're done with something, when this thing starts. Your rest comes from knowing he's, he's in control. He's over it. He's with you. He, he's in it. He's not going to leave you. He says, come to me. And he's going to link himself to you. He says, my yoke. He'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Guys, that's what's so valuable to see what Jesus is saying here. Now, quick note for us. I don't want us to confuse here gentle and lowly for like mushy and weak. It's a lo- great quote Dane Ortland gave us. Don't confuse gentle and lowly with mushy and weak. Like, have you guys read the paragraph right before the one that Jenna just read? Like you about to get like whiplash uh, and like, you know, sue the church for like medical charges because of how uh, altering the two texts are. He's like, come to me, come to me, all who are weary. And then he slays people, the paragraph beforehand. He's like, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Cherizid. Like he's slaying people. He's like, I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Woo, Jesus is not mushy and weak with sin as we can see, but he is gentle and lowly with sinners who bring their burdens and brokenness to him. That's who he's calling out for. That's who the invitation is for. You wanna find wholeness? You wanna find rest? It's only in him. We've gotta stop trying to find it in a job. When I get married, when I get a kid, we gotta stop the when stuff. That's not where rest is found. The Christian life is hard. It will only keep getting hard. But what allows us to have hope and rest and joy is that we find what we need in the relationship with Christ, what he's given us in the cross and how that works out in our life. Guys, our sins and our failures, our insecurities, our doubts, anything, everything cannot outmatch God's gentle, kind dealings with us when we own up to our faults and bring them to him. James 4, 6 says this, that God is 
He resists the proud, but listen, he gives grace to the humble. God is giving grace to those who are burdened, who are broken, and who come to him. Guys, for for lowly gentleness is not just one way. It's not just one way that Jesus occasionally acts towards us when he's feeling nice, when he's not frustrated with your sin. That's not how he deals. Gentleness is like who he is. It's his very heart towards you. Like you can't ungentle Christ if you're a believer, just like you can't unhuman yourself. It's who you are and gentle and lowly is who he is towards us. And guys, this really helps those of you who really deal with shame, guilt, and failure. Like you are the personality type that you always replay the the past. We talked about those of you who are anxious about the future, but I'm talking to you right now who struggle with the past. And Jesus is telling you who struggle with sin, like the, the nasty, dark sin behind the scenes no one knows about, that sin, how does he see you right now? Gentle and lowly. He calls it out, no doubt. He is a holy God. He does hate sin because sin hurts you, dishonors his glory. It's not how you were designed to live. So he calls out to you and he says, hey, are, are you laboring in sin? Are you laden by the effects of what's happened to you? Come to me, stop it, come to me. Do you hear that? He is so gracious, but so true. He calls it out. God's not afraid. He's not mushy and frothy. He's not a cappuccino. He's like, none of this stuff. Comes right to you and calls it out. That's his heart. And that's the heart of people that get changed. When you own your shortcomings, that's why I love this church. We're in community group, man, we confess on all kinds of stuff. And DNA groups, we all confess all kinds of stuff. Stuff we're dealing with, sins we're struggling with. We're, we're open about that at our church. Why? Because God already knows who we are. And we are sinners desperately in need of a savior day by day. So we can confess who we are because we know ultimately who we need. Last thing here, the reward. If we come to this savior, what's the benefit? What is he offering? What's in this invitation if we accept? We saw his heart. We saw who he's offering this to. But what happens if we come? Verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and I want you to learn from me. Again, for he says, I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, now you've got to understand what Jesus is saying here because I don't think any of us like work with oxen for your job. If so, please tell me. I'd be fascinated to know what you do uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, but we don't talk about a yoke often other than like it's an egg and you're like, oh, please, I don't want the yoke in mine, just whites, please. Like that's, that's our generation maybe or something like that, right? That's the only way we talk about yokes, right? That's a terrible dad joke. Emily's gonna be embarrassed I even said that. She's not here, she's watching online. I love you, sweetie, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, thank you, Kyle, for laughing real hard. Appreciate that. Um, but what's the yoke really talking about here? It's not eggs. There's something Jesus is giving here. A, a yoke in his time was this really heavy wooden crossbar. See where we're going with this? Wooden, heavy cross. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, a, a yoke is this wooden, heavy crossbar that was laid on an oxen. And then they would take a heavy tool and put it on this wooden crossbar. And then the oxen would drag it around the field. It would pull up 
crops and it would till the soil. And often one oxen would be paired with another oxen. But what's interesting is that farmers didn't pair two strong oxen or two weak oxen. When they were training someone else, it would take a strong oxen and link its yoke to the younger oxen, the weaker oxen. So who's really pulling the thing? The stronger oxen. And that's the imagery that Jesus is giving you. He's telling you something about himself. He's referring to himself as the oxen. He's the one that takes the heavy wooden crossbar of our sin, our salvation. He did the work for us. And even as a Christian today, he's still working out all things for your good. He's pulling the weight. And all you got to do is strap this proverbial metaphorical harness on and he's doing all the work. You're partnering in relationship of trust, but he's pulling the weight. Guys, do you know what that'll do to your anxiety if you grasp that concept? If you get that God is carrying the weight of your life, like what happens and when it happens, you can trust that when something terrible happens, God has a plan for it. And I, I, guys, just a quick side, what I love so much about Jesus is that he can do this and he promises that good work out for you. And you're like, oh, that's fine, Jesus. You live a fine life. You're like, you're God's son or whatever. Do you realize that Jesus is the one who died himself? Like he had the worst circumstance happen to him. Life itself took on death itself. How does that possible? Sinlessness took on sinfulness. And if God can turn death around, and bring life and salvation to thousands and millions and billions of people throughout history, then he can take whatever circumstance you're facing and turn it around as well. Guys, do you trust him like this? Guys, we don't work for our forgiveness with God, do we? Do we work for our worth in the world? We shouldn't. We don't work for our forgiveness with God. We don't work for our worth. He has done it for us. We have been labored for by Christ. So this yoke, guys, this yoke that Jesus is telling us about is really actually a non-yoke. Like it's kind of like this tongue-in-cheek thing that Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, take who I am and what I've done for you and put it around you. Learn my ways and enjoy all that I've done for you. He says that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. Why? Because he's carrying it. He's the one that's carrying it. But you and I are so overburdened by everything. There's this one analogy that H.P. Charles gave on, on this text, and I really liked it. He, he imagined I'm from North Carolina, so just bear with the analogy. There's something called pickup trucks back where I'm from. And uh, it's an analogy of saying there's someone like a, a, a Christ-like figure in this analogy who's in the pickup truck. He's driving it. He's got a bunch of wood in the back. He's uh, driving by. He sees someone else carrying all of their wood on their back pulls over and says, hey, can I give you a ride? Sure, go ahead and hop in, take your wood, put it in the back and then ride smoothly. Well, as the guy was driving down the road, he looks in the rear view mirror and he recognizes that the guy in the back is standing up in the car, still holding his wood in the car. Pulls outside, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm carrying my burden. He's like, do you realize that's what the car was for? You, you lay it down and I carry it. And that's a silly analogy, but I hope that sticks with your brain. That's, that's many of us. You're in the car, you're in the relationship with Jesus, but you keep carrying the burdens. You act like he's not sovereign. You act like he doesn't care about your future. You act like he doesn't love you. Let it down, let go. It's light. Why? Because he carries it. Does that make sense, guys? 
when this just moves from theology to practicality, it changes how you feel, how you think when someone else is the sovereign governor of your life, working out things for your good. Dane Orland talks about this concept of Jesus' burden being easy and light, like helium is in a balloon. Think about helium for a moment. If you're at a kid's party or you watch one of those giant helium balloons that sends up the person in the basket, what's the helium do to a balloon? It, it, it raises it. it, it lifts it. And just like helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are carried along in this life by his endless gentleness, by his, his supreme accessibility, his sovereign hand. Guys, he doesn't just meet us in our place of need, he lives in that place of need. Like when you're fretting about whatever it is, he's already there. He's already made a promise for that. And then he will for sure carry out that promise. All things work out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He'll use whatever that is to conform you to the image of Christ, to strengthen you, to bring about good in your life and good to others through whatever the hardship is. Guys, another analogy that I think is interesting and in how we can think about this Sometimes we don't want to follow Jesus' ways, do we? We're like, mm, I'm not going to trust you. Like in our brains, we're like, we know all the answers. If I give you a test, you can all pass a test of Jesusness, right? Of all the questions about God, is he trustworthy? You're like, yeah. Can I give him my past? Yeah. Can I hope for him future? All oh, you'd pass the test. But this is what happens where I'm like, no, no, no. I know this is hard, but you've got to trust. Like, no, you shouldn't date this person or marry this person or you shouldn't do this with your finances because that would hurt you. And you start thinking about the principles of Jesus. You're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Then your trust really gets tested. It's like this analogy. It's like if you think about for a moment, you're out to sea, we're all on a cruise paid for by somebody in the church, not me. We're all on a cruise hypothetically, thanks to whoever's doing this in the analogy. And one of you falls off. Let's make it Ben, just because I'm looking at you, Ben. Sorry, Ben. Valor and him get in a fight. Just kidding, of course. Ben falls off. And Katie runs up and is like, Ben, grab onto this life buoy. And Ben's like, no, I can't. I don't have time. I'm drowning. That life buoy would be burdensome to me. And we're like, that's, that's the dumbest thing in the world, Ben. You're drowning. Put on the life preserver. It's not a burden to you. It's actually what's going to be a blessing to you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to save you. Guys, that's what his yoke is like. And when Jesus gives you ways and paths and commands, those aren't things that are limiting you. They're actually providing the safety limits for you to flourish, to grow, to be secure. Does that make sense? So when God is saying, hey, I want you to learn from me, he's saying, I want you to obey my commands. Jesus said this in the, the very end of his ministry in Matthew chapter 28. Go and make disciples of all nations and teach them what? To observe all that I have commanded you. He's saying it here as well. He's, he's, he's telling us that he wants us to know him, to, to follow him, to take on his yoke, to take on his, his principles, his commands, because they're good. And if we think they're going to weigh us down or they're going to limit our freedom, it, it's not the case. It actually helps us. If you've ever walked anywhere with my family, uh, you can always hear my children rebelling about holding my hand. They know that they do it and they know that something could happen to them, but they always ask me, 
why. Uh, we were walking down to Chansky's in my neighborhood, which we call Risky's because it's always a risk to get there with my family. But we walked down to Chansky's the other day. We we're going to have breakfast for dinner. And so we let each kid buy a cereal for like $37 because it's super expensive down at that little mart. And we we're walking down there and Chasera's like, Daddy, I don't want to hold your hand. Chasera, you got to hold my hand. You, you got to learn from me. You got to trust me. I don't want to hold your hand. She said, if you don't let me hold your hand, you're going to get hit by an Uber, a car, a bike, a rollerblader, a dog, a T, uh, all the things that are from my house to that thing. And she's like, I, Daddy, I just don't want to. I'm like, she said, you're, you're just going to have to trust me. Grab my hand. She's like, I don't want to. Like, she said, we're not going to fight about this, sweetheart, because you're going to get in trouble, but I'll just pick you up. I'll just carry you. And as we were walking, someone pulled out right in front of our car and potentially could have hit my daughter. In that moment, I, she was afraid. She starts tearing up. I'm like, do you see why you've got to listen? You've got to hold my hand. You've got to be close. That's, that's the point that Jesus is making. Take the yoke. Guys, his commands are for your good. They're not to limit you. They're to serve you. They're to help you. It's the way you're designed to live. That's what he's saying. Put it on. Learn from me. So guys, here's how I want to, here's how I want to end this. How do we practically do this? How do we like practically come to him and find rest? And what's interesting, this is very similar of the spiritual armor we just talked about. It's very similar when we come to him for rest. It's very similar how we put on the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness or whatever the case may be. And guys, I've shared this before, but if you struggle with significance or worth or guilt or shame, where do you turn to? Guys, what we should turn to, we should go to Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, 30 that we've talked about. And we find that we've been significant. We've been predestined. We've been called. We've been justified. We've been glorified in heaven. If he cared enough about us in eternity past and will care about us in eternity in the future, then don't you think he'll care about you right now? Like he made the plan to bring Christ so that you could place your faith in him. He made that plan for you. He dealt with your biggest issues, which is sin, death, hell, and Satan. Do you think he's going to leave you if he dealt with the biggest things? That's not how he works, right? So where do you come to find rest to? You come and find rest in Romans 8.30. You, you meet him there. Guys, for some of you, you're not just laboring after maybe the wrong things that harm you, but you're heavy laden. Those are two different things, right? Laboring is what you do that can maybe cause hurt or harm, but heavy laden is what's been placed on you that can cause heartache and harm. Some of you, what you faced growing up, things that you went through with mom and dad or a guardian, things you'll do with one of those mental health challenges, you have a particular heavy laden burden on you. There's a suffering that you go through. There's a hardship that you battle with daily. And when you're tempted to despair and to give up, what do you do? You, you come to what Jesus has said. And as we've referenced, we come to Jesus in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for all things, God will work out for good who are called according to his purpose. We remember that the struggle that we're in is we're not stuck there forever. We recall to mind Revelation 21, right? That one day we will dwell with God face to face. He will be our God. We will be his people. The sufferings and trials you go through, the mental illness, the trauma that you deal with, what you get triggered with, one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There should be no mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You come to him. That's why, my friends, we need the scriptures. 
just like we armed ourselves in Ephesians 6, this is also where we find our rest. Do you see why we need the scriptures? This is why we sing the scriptures. We pray the scriptures. Before the service starts, we open up with a call to worship from scripture. We close with a benediction from scripture. You need it. Why? Because in Christ, in his words, find rest. Does that make sense? So let's end how we started this series together. This road to redemption. What is the invitation that Jesus is giving you in this season? With all the busyness or the the heartaches you're facing or the challenges you will face, maybe not in them now, but you're gonna face them one day. What's he say to you? He says this. He says, come to me. No one else, nothing else. Come to me, all of you who are laboring, who are weary and tired and who are tired, heavy laden because of what life has dealt to you. He says, come to me and I will, I promise you, I will give you rest. From my heart towards you, it's, it's gentle, it's accessible, it's lowly, it's sovereign in control, it's aimed for your good. I want you to take my yoke, take who I am and what I've done, and I want you to learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you come and when you follow and you learn from me, you will find, you will find rest for your souls. My friends, this is the road to redemption. At this text, at this text, Jesus began to get all sorts of religious persecution from Jewish leaders. This began the road towards the cross at this text. This one, and when Jesus was talking about how you eat of his um, bread and drink of this cup, People begin to push back against him. That's why we start the road of redemption here with this grand invitation. Next week, we see him enter into Jerusalem as this reigning king and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then we come to Good Friday, we see him on the cross and on Sunday, we see him resurrected. But in this, may you see the invitation to come to him. Come to Jesus and see and taste that he is good and find rest for your souls.